Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. Joined by Paul Dottino, I am John Schmelk. The phone number for you is 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. If you want to get in touch with us that way, you can. It's all presented by Coors Light. Enter to win the ultimate VIP game day experience, courtesy of Coors Light. Text VIP to 90464 for more details. Well, the Giants getting ready to take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Daniel Jones' debut for the New York Football Giants. That's kind of been the story all week, Paul. And I was on Monday after Pat Shermer kind of opened the door for it before we got the official news on Wednesday, well, on Tuesday, rather, what was going to happen. Um, I was surprised it happened quickly, uh, more quickly than I thought it was going to happen. And if you guys want to call and talk about that, you can. Uh, but now he gets his first start against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Paul. And it's not an easy team to get your first start against because I know no. a lot of fans probably think of the Bucks as the same team they were the last two years with Mike Smith as their defensive coordinator when they were near the bottom of the league. Well, guess what? That's not what they are anymore. Todd Bowles has transformed this defense. They stopped the run. They blitz more than any, any other team in the league. And Daniel Jones is going to have his hands full. 52% blitzes on uh, passing downs, 60% blitzes on third downs. Uh, Todd Bowles is very aggressive. He will show a lot of stuff. He will try to confuse you. A uh, lot of pre-snap motion, a lot of dropping out and bluffing and, and ghosts. And, you know, he's going to look at this quarterback and say, Hey, Daniel, welcome to the NFL. Get a load of this. And it's really going to be up to the Giants, not only the offensive line, but obviously Saquon Barkley in the backfield to help pick up the pressure. And let's not forget this part, John. It's very important for the receivers and the tight ends to get their hot reads because if they don't, then Daniel Jones is going to be stuck holding the bag. Well, and he can't hold the football either. Not just the bag. He can't hold the well, football either. That's he, kind of what I meant. He has to get rid of the ball quickly. But, you know, sometimes young quarterbacks want to, if that first thing's not there, they want to try to hold it. You know, they pat the ball. They look to the second, second guy. He's going to have to be pretty quick and decisive, which is something I thought he was pretty good at in preseason. But Very good at. The point that we heard from Phil Sims when he <laughs> talked to Bob Papa on the Giants Huddle podcast, it make sure you go same. check that out. <laughs> what he saw in the preseason is going to be nothing like what he sees in this first regular season game. And the Buccaneers, they are more than 50% of the time man, probably around a 60% man team, either cover one or cover zero. When they blitz, they are even more than that a man team but they will show some cover three that was about 18 percent of the time they will show some cover four which is two safeties deep that's about 18 percent of the time so i bet you bowls is not just going to show man 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 because man is easy for a young rookie quarterback to read paul he's going to want to mix those coverages up a little bit to try to confuse jones as much as he can and we'll see how he's able to handle it there's no question about that john i i just think that you know if there's any good thing about this for daniel jones it's that it is a road game the glare of the spotlight if the game were home would probably be at least twice as hot i don't think that's something that's going to bother this particular guy though. i don't i, I don't think I don't think he'll get much phased by it, but it's still your first regular season NFL oh, game. And as Saquon point. Barkley said, you've been dreaming about this since you were a kid. And it's impossible not to be jacked up about it. And, and anything that can help a, a guy like this who's in a really big spot, who you know obviously has devoted his life to this opportunity, anything that can help him stay calm, even though he already has that mechanism built in, is a good thing. So in that regard, 
the fact that this is a road game, I do think helps him a little bit. I agree. I think it does too. So as you move forward now, Paul, and you take a look at this game, you look at what Daniel Jones did in the preseason, it's very different. The one thing he's going to have to be careful with is protecting the football. We saw him fumble a few times when he got hit in the pocket in the preseason. He fumbled on his one run against the Cowboys in week one when he got time in garbage time. Protecting the ball for him is going to be very, very important in this game against the team that is going to go after the football. Well, why wouldn't you? Right. You know, if you're the Buccaneers and you saw some of the tape during the preseason, Daniel Jones had 11 preseason possessions or drives, if you will, that he authored for the Giants. Um, And twice he did cough it up, as John explained. Also had uh, three touchdown drives and a field goal drive. Okay. Oh, he had a tremendous preseason. He was excellent. uh, Completed over 80% of his passes. Right. All right. Two touchdowns, no picks. A lot of really good things. Again, vanilla defenses, third and fourth string, in some cases, uh, players, some second string players. But this is a totally different ball of wax, except for the fact that you got to protect the ball no matter what level players you're playing against. And he's got to make sure that he feels the pressure, that he is instinctive enough to hold it with two hands when he has to, whether it means tucking it and taking the sack, then take the sack. Because the last thing in the world the Giants need him to do is turn the ball over. It's going to be hard enough to win this game without turning the ball over. Correct. So take the sack. And it's funny, you know, the Giants were minus four in their first two games, but watching those games, you didn't feel like they were minus four. A lot of those turnovers came at the end of those games after the game was kind of decided. So they really were more like minus one or minus two. Over those two games, depending on, on how you want to classify it. Now, they did have a turnover on downs, which doesn't technically count as a turnover, but yeah. in effect, you still end the drive without scoring, right? So, sure. in a way, it is. But, yeah, that that's a big thing. And then if we'll get to the Bucks' offense in a second. I would do two more things on Jones. you got to take the ball away from them, too, by the way. Two more things on Jones. <laughs> Winston will give it to you. Go ahead. There's this idea, and a lot of these questions were asked this week, that this offense now is going to look totally different with Daniel Jones behind center. And Saquon Barkley talked about this yesterday when he was interviewed by the media. And I was happy he kind of echoed what I've been saying all week. I don't think we're going to see things that are much different. You know, Daniel Jones in college, despite his mobility, was not a guy that, you know, was super elusive in the pocket. He could step up in the pocket ahead of pressure, but he's not, you know, Deshaun Watson running around, buying extra time and doing all this crazy stuff back there. He actually did a lot of design runs at Duke. I don't think you'll see a lot of those with the Giants this week. You'll see maybe a couple um, read option plays, things like that. You know, they ran RPOs with Eli. They'll run RPOs with Daniel Jones. That's not going to change. The only difference for me, Paul, is not going to be from from a schematic standpoint. It's going to be on that third and three or third and four. If it's a rollout and nothing's there, maybe where Eli wouldn't be able to turn the ball upfield and run for a first down, Daniel Jones might be able to do it. And that, to me, where the difference is going to be, I don't think we're going to see a much different-looking offense from a schematic standpoint. Yeah, I would agree with that, John. I also think, as we always talk about with running quarterbacks, if you don't get the pressure in his windshield and the pocket does open up from the front side, which we've seen the Giants in, in a number of cases over the last several years, go after a mobile quarterback and leave a rushing lane right in front of him. Correct. And all of a sudden, he just says, oh, look at that. Right in front of me. Wide open space. 
boom, yeah, and he's gone. You have to be more disciplined than your rush when you're playing someone like Jones. Against Eli, you if you leave a lane here or there, he's not going to kill you That's the it. point. And so That's I do, fair. So, so you may see Daniel Jones on a few instances. If that lane is there, he may take it because that's what he did at Duke. Sure. He took it when it was there. Understand this. He played for three seasons at Duke, okay? He was there for four but played for three. Ran for a career uh, of over 1,300 yards. Now, that's not a ton. For those people who just want to label him, as John says, as a running quarterback, that's a misnomer. Think about this. Josh Allen last year for the Buffalo Bills ran for over 700 yards during the course of the season. Daniel Jones ran for only over 1,300 in three years. I would Understand that? I would compare Daniel Jones as a runner to the way Andrew Luck was a runner. Where he's mobile, he can use his mobility, mm. but he's not a running quarterback. He's he's definitely not a run. I don't and know frankly, if I want to compare him to Luck, but I understand the philosophy. Now, frankly, Jones actually did a lot more design runs in college than Luck ever did. No so question. That for sure is true. But once they have the ball in their hands as a passer, I think they use their mobility in similar ways rather than comparing him to a a Murray or a Watson or, you know, guys like that. The one good thing that I noticed on a lot of Daniel Joe's runs when you watched him at Duke, he was smart with the ball. In other words, he was willing to go down when necessary Mm -hmm. rather than take the extra hit or get the extra yard, and he was very willing to go out of bounds. And it's funny, David Cutcliffe, we interviewed him for the Giants Huddle Podcast back in the summer. We're looking forward to hearing that again. if you want to guys go back in the archive, it's up there. I talked to him back in June. Obviously, the content's not going to change now. Go go back and find it. It's on the archive. Giants.com will have it or go to any of your favorite podcast platform. Give it a listen. About 20 minutes. It's as much insight on, on Daniel Jones as you could ever imagine. We'll replay some of it on our pregame show on Sunday. And he said, look, the first year, we had to coach that out of him. His first year at Duke, he tried to take guys on running the ball. Mm-hmm. And we're like, no, 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 no. That is that, that, that's not going to work, Daniel. He did. He did. Absolutely. And, and he did a good job of it, too, mm-hmm. because – you could tell that Daniel decided, okay, when I'm going to run, I'm going to be smart. I'm not going to be reckless. I'm not going to try to be a hero. And, you know, that's the last thing in the world you want him to do if you're the Giants. Absolutely. 201-939-4513. We see calls already coming in. We'll get to you in about five or six minutes. You just want to cover the other aspects of this game. Hashtag Giants chat on Twitter. We'll try to get your tweets over the course of the show as well. Again, 201 939 One more thing. Um, about Jones and and how he's going to handle this game. I think it's really hard to predict how a rookie is going to react in his first game. And my feeling throughout the weekend, a lot of people thought, oh, they're making this move because they're just concerned about the future, not worried about the present. My feeling just in the locker room and, you know, talking to coaches, not, not even telling me directly, but just listening to how they're talking about this, there's a lot of confidence that Daniel Jones can handle this moment. But... I do think for a rookie in his first game, you never know how things are going to go. And I would even hesitate how to predict it. He seems like the type of person, and based on what we saw in the preseason, he reinforced that fact, that would not be overwhelmed by the moment and he would be who he is and not let that affect him. But with a rookie in his first ever game, Paul, you just don't know how this is going to go, especially against a good team like the Bucs. You don't know, but based on our experiences with him, as limited as they are, uh, and certainly based on what we know from the Giants people and what we know from Cutcliffe, he really is Eli 2.0 in that regard. You know, I know the comparisons often get made, and a lot of times people want to shrug at that and say, I don't do that. But from a 
from per, an environment personality standpoint. Persona- yes. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. what I'm looking for. Not environment. From a personality perspective. From an aura perspective. How he goes about his business. He is truly a carbon copy of Eli Manning, which does give him a better chance to succeed in a situation like this than somebody who is not that way. And so if you're the Giants, that's what you're hoping for. Now, I remember when Phil Simms was a rookie in 1979. He was supposed to be a redshirt. Ray Perkins had announced this number one draft pick is not going to play this year. Joe Pizarczyk was the starting quarterback. The Giants were a terrible team, John. Mm -hmm. The offensive line was Swiss cheese. Pizarczyk was just getting manhandled in the backfield. He got banged up. He was awful. They benched him for a guy named Randy Dean, who was the backup quarterback at the time. Randy Dean played a game. He was terrible. They knew he wasn't the answer. They put Pizarczyk back in because they didn't want to put Sims in. They wanted a redshirt Sims. Pizarczyk goes in, gets hurt. (laughs) Sims got to go in. So Phil goes in and relieves him. The following week, Phil is named the starter, by the way, at the Tampa Bay uh, home for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Do you remember his stat line in that game? I sure do. In fact, I, I wrote it down because I want to make sure I got it right. I have it too. So Six you of give 12 it. for 37 yards <laughs> uh, because his longest completion was 10 yards to Gary Shirk, the tight end. Legendary. What did they do? They told him to hand the ball off to Billy Taylor all day long. Billy Taylor had over 30 carries, ran for about 150 yards and two touchdowns. It was Billy Taylor's finest day as a pro. And this is the, and the Giants won, and they beat the Buccaneers at home. Perfect opportunity for a transition. The Buccaneers, to me, Paul, and they've done a great job so far, under three yards per rushing play this year, one of the top run defenses in the league. They've been great against the run. I would imagine Todd Bowles is going to have eight guys at that line of scrimmage forever. Yeah, you see, you saw what they did against Christian McCaffrey last week, who is a mm-hmm. real dynamic player. Mm-hmm. He only had two catches, only had 30 rushing yards. They shut him down. It was probably one of his lowest yards from scrimmage games of his career. He was invisible. Yeah, and they'll try to do that same thing to Saquon Barkley this will. week if they can. And by the way, he got off to a slow start last week when the Giants played the Bucks. I was actually very unimpressed with what I saw. Boy, Vita Vea is a good football player in the middle of that defense, man. He is a load, and he can move. They are going to have their hands full with him. He's six, he was their first-round pick last year, folks, mm-hmm. if you're not familiar. He's 6'4", he's 350. He's basically what you want Dexter Lawrence to be, except maybe you want Lawrence to be a little bit of a better pass rusher. This kid is a force in there, and boy, Jalapio, and this is why you go with the bigger guy at center, by the way. Jalapio, Hernandez, Zeitler is going to have their hands full with that guy in this game. Yeah, he's got that year under his belt, and it certainly has made a difference. A very strong, powerful player. Came out of Washington, as I believe, right? That sounds right, yeah. And, and you know, because when we, when we charted him or graded him out last year, you know, this was a guy who, you know, you had, you had some very big marks on. And so it does not surprise me that he is doing what he is doing. And that's, that's a big part of what the Bucks want to do. They want him to command a double team so that, you know, they can get one-on-one matchups against everybody else in your front. And then, by the way, if Bulls start sending extra guys, 
they're going to be clean. Shaquille, That's his whole idea. Shaquille Barrett, second in the league in sacks with four. He had three last week against Carolina. Yeah, Undersized, speed guy. off, oh. And Moten, too. Didn't he work against Moten in that game also a little bit? Or am I wrong about that? I you thought, could be right. I, I, thought it, I thought it was Williams. No, you might be abused. right. You might be right. I'm not positive The left tackle. That. So yeah. Solder's going to be up on him. It was the left tackle. If that's Williams, then 100% you're right. It was Williams then. Uh, Levante David is a do-everything linebacker, good player. He was mm-hmm. hurt, if you remember, in the game the Giants played the Bucks last year. Yep. And then their safety, Whitehead, is also actually very good around the line of scrimmage. So, And Vernon Hargraves is having his best year as a pro. They've taken him out of the slot. He's playing only outside cornerback now when he kind of was their slot guy a little bit the last couple of years, and he's playing a lot better. Uh, real quick, Paul, we have only a couple minutes before I want to get to the calls. We haven't talked Tampa Bay offense at all. I've honestly been underwhelmed. I was expecting be. this freewheeling, downfield, throwing fest, and it just hasn't materialized. I don't find their offense to be all that creative looking at it. Jameis Winston still has turnover issues. He has three interceptions, and frankly, he has three more passes that hit defensive players in the hands that could have been intercepted. He has two fumbles. I think one's been lost. But they do have two number one quality wide receivers in Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. And we know Janoris Jenkins will be on one. I'm curious to see how the Giants handle the other one. Yeah, that that's a good point because since uh, I guess the final six weeks or so of last season, uh, Godwin has actually become their favorite target over Evans. If you take a look, go back and find well, your numbers. He has twice the number of receiving yards this year. He has been totally overwhelming in terms of uh, overshadowing, I should say, is the word I'm looking for, overshadowing Evans. Of course, the minute you say that, Evans is going to go for 180. Well, and quite <laughs> frankly, quite frankly, need, need I mention this name? I don't want to wake up a sleeping bear, but O.J. Howard is on this team. And he's been silent. He has done very little to this point. Four catches, 30 seven yards or something like that Uh, and guess what he's going to be looking at the tape of the giants the first two weeks and saying to himself how about you throw me the ball um so and by the way bruce arians kind of called him out too if you notice that i'll bring up the quote that bruce arians had about him this week because one of the tampa bay media people asked him you know why hasn't oj howard been more involved this was arians answer you'd probably have to ask him he's got so much talent and he can play a heck of a lot better than he's playing and you know what? I thought last year a lot of people were, were saying, hey, this this looks like the guy that we thought he was going to be. Yeah, I, th- I thought he looked great then the last and year. Then, I agree. And then he gets off to this this start this year. Now, I know he's been a little bit banged up. And by the way, Cameron Brate's a good tight end too. Their other guy. Uh, uh, well, yeah, yeah, he can make plays. There's no question. So anyway, bottom line is uh, it's been an underwhelming start to the Bucks defense, much like offense. many teams. Offense. Much like many teams. You know, you just hope they don't wake up against the Giants if, if you're Pat Shermer. And if there's a weakness, their two offensive tackles are not very good. No. Donovan Smith has five penalties already. Now, given how many penalties they're calling on the offensive line around the league, I guess it's not a surprise, but he struggled. DeMar Dotson, a right tackle, he's been a little bit better than Smith, but he's nothing to write home about either. The question is, can the Giants take advantage of that? Well, they've given up six sacks, right, so far? Yes, the first that two is, games. That is correct, so, yes. I mean... They, they can be, and that despite the fact that Winston is very mobile. And by the way, let me say this too. He, you know what though, but he has to hold the ball because of the nature of the system, he has to hold the ball, which yes. allows the rush to get home. Yes. And a lot of times his sacks have been him holding the ball beyond that three, At five times, step that and is out. True. He's been holding it a lot. So another reason the Giants should be able to get some pressure on him considering he's holding it so much. Last thing on the Bucks offense, uh, two-headed running back attack with Peyton Barber and yes. Ronald Jones. Ronald Jones got the bulk of the carries in week one. Peyton Barber got the bulk of the carries mm-hmm. in week two. Watching the two guys on tape, I'm much more impressed with Ronald Jones. 
Peyton Barber is kind of your four to five yard, grind it out, cloud of dust guy. I think they trust him probably more with protections and stuff like that. Ronald Jones is a little scary. He's got some burst to him. So you got to watch out for him with the big plays. You better wrap him up. He bounced off some tackles in that week one. And he averaged, I think, over, almost 10 yards per carry in that game. Well, yeah, for the for the two games, he's at 17 for 84. Long of only 16, but, you know. He was 13 for 75 in week one, something like that. He was very good. Yeah, he didn't I, do anything last week. I mean, he, he, here's the thing. Let's not kid ourselves. The bottom line is the Giants have to play much more sound football in all three phases yep. than what they have shown so far this year. Don't make it easy on the other team. Make them earn it. That's it. Because you know what? The Giants aren't good enough to overcome any kinds of mistakes of that nature. They're just not. The Giants are trying to be a respectable team. They're trying to be a competitive team. And if they're going to add and compound to their woes and dig their hole deeper and deeper with mistakes and missed tackles and busted assignments, guess what, John? Then the ship takes on water and you sink. 201-939-4513. Sink with us. Right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by Coors Light. Entered win the ultimate VIP game day experience, courtesy of Coors Light. Text VIP to 90464 for more details. I'm not implying that I expect the team to sink. I was just making a joke, so everybody relax. All right, let's go to the phones. Chris is in Syracuse. He'll lead us off. What's up, Chris? Hey, how you guys doing? What's up, buddy? Hi. Okay, so I just wanted to touch on a couple of things really quick. Sure, fire away. Uh, number, number one, um, as far as uh, Eli goes, he continues to impress with how he's handling what I think is kind of a difficult situation. Yep. So, no surprise there, especially in this era of trade me whiny athletes, um, and I probably would be one of them. Full disclosure, uh, it's just always uh, impressive how he handles his business. So yeah, and, just, and Chris, know, I want to throw I, one little nugget there, just on top for people that don't know, because the way he's handled outwardly is great. That dude, after he found out he wasn't the starter anymore, stayed in the building all day on Tuesday to work with Daniel Jones to get him ready for the game. They spent all day together. He didn't go home. He was here all day helping the kid get ready for the game the day he got benched. And I guarantee you there aren't any aren't a lot of other quarterbacks that if they were put in that position would have done that. So I I think it says a lot about him. Yeah, absolutely. He's just uh, he's my favorite player of all time and one of the few human beings that I know of that I actually admire just about how he uh, handles his business. So yep. he's been great. And, uh, you know, we'll see where it goes from here. And uh, I am excited. I'm an Eli guy, but I am definitely excited to see where this goes. Yeah, you should be. Um, I just, so I go back, though, for the, for the one thing that I just kind of wanted to say is when I, I made that call in August, and I'm wrong 95% of the time, so please don't take it. It's like, <laughs> but when I had said that if they were at an 0-2 start, you couldn't keep the Wolves at bay because I know that Eli can play, and I know that if they were at an 0-2 start with the amount of losing that's been going on, they don't have a choice but to do this because third quarter, I think it was, or maybe into the fourth quarter at the home opener, it was empty except for Bills fans. And I think that uh, people have had enough. And so I've also been a Gettleman guy, and I'm really, really hoping that our 2020 roster is looking good. But I think that there was a gross gross overestimation of talent and or the ability of these younger kids to get picking up the ball sooner because otherwise, I, I don't care what Shermer says, I don't care what anybody says, it does not make sense to have both of these guys on the roster right now when there's so many holes to fill. The only thing that makes any sense at all is you thought you had more than you did or you thought that it was going to come around quicker. 
So I'm just I'm hoping that uh, I don't look silly for being a for a Gettleman guy, and that by the end right. of this year we have answers for all of those questions, and we know okay we've only got a few holes to plug next year, and we've got uh, we've got a definite right. way to go about doing that. Well, ultimately, I, I think to be honest with you, and I'm not I'm not in Dave Gettleman's office. I'm not a fly on the wall. I don't bug his phone. And I don't uh, mirror or take control of his computer or his emails, okay? So when I say this, I'm taking an educated guess based on what he has said to the media and how he, he has proceeded and planned his maneuvers to this point. It has always been my belief that Dave Gettleman was looking at what I thought was a three-year plan. First year last year, you had to clean out the toxin and overturn the locker room and get your kind of guys in here, the Pat Shermer kind of guys, the Dave Gettleman kind of guys. That was going to require a lot of hard work, blood, sweat, and tears, and a lot of hard labor to do. They did that. As you know, there, there's literally just a handful of guys left on this roster you know, from, from the Giants' playoff appearance in Green Bay in January of 2017. There's only five guys left. So that, 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 that's number one. Actually, no, yeah, it's five guys now. So there's that. Then part, part number two was to try to enhance the talent level. Once you got the, the, the proper guys in the locker room and you got your locker room now the way you want it, now you want to increase the talent. They've done that. They've done well in the draft. They added a couple of, uh, of, of, of sleeper guys, uh, you know, done some trades, got Zeitler in here, got Peppers in here, you know, so... That's kind of part number two. Now, part number three. Well, that's going to be next year. In 2020, part number three is must enhance the talent base with some impact players, specifically on defense. That's part number three. And so, you know, that's the way I see it. And I think, you know, the way you've described it as well, I, I don't think you'd have much argument with that plan. The problem is, of course... Very few people have any patience at all, and they want the thing to be all done three steps in one. You can't do three well, steps in one. You you understand no, no, that? You, you, you can't. You can't. But you could have allocated those resources, in my opinion, a little better to help whichever quarterback it was going to be. The only reason you wouldn't do that is if you thought that a Daniel Jones wasn't going to be ready, or b the team was going to be a whole lot more competitive to try to get you know Elias Swan Song one last run while they're competing for for a playoff spot. And it looks to me like that ship has completely sailed. I know you got other callers and everything, but thanks for taking my call, guys. I appreciate the phone call. Thanks very much. Right, See one one of the one of the things, and thank you. Uh, one of the things you got to understand too is that if you're going to go in with the three-step plan and you're anticipating that in that third step of the plan that is the offseason going into 2020 that you're going to be able to finagle your finances and your numbers to the point where that's going to be the year where you make the big splash to go purchase an impact player or two well then that kind of does in a way Put a little bit of a tightrope on what you can do and the freedom of economic movement that you can do in part two of your plan. Thanks for the call, Chris, by the way. Appreciate it. Yeah, I, we're, yeah definitely. So pr yes. thank you. So, so, you know, that's the key. You know, if you have this three-part plan and then all of a sudden you decide you're going to take some of those economic resources from part three and shift them into part two, you're now kind of messing with the integrity of what your overall scope is. And so anyway, bottom line is, 
I think before anybody really bites into what Dave Gettleman has done with this team, you got to give him a chance to get through the three phases of his plan. And then after you digest that and you see what it is that he put forth on the table, that's the more appropriate time to really start grading what it is he did. Because right now the plan is still in progress. Well, I didn't hear any of what he said, so I'll say sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yes, we got your tweets, and uh, the audio should be fixed now, so you should be hearing us. Hi. I got to tell you, what we said the first 25 minutes of the show was brilliant, so it was fantastic. <laughs> uh, you missed it, but it's gone. So, but We, we gave you <laughs> yeah. all of the Mega Millions winning lottery numbers it for was, the week. It was perfect. We had them. It was perfect. Um, in all seriousness, <laughs> though, when the archive goes up, we have we do have audio of the show because we record a separate audio feed. We will lay it back into the video. So if you're watching the show at home, go to the archive on Giants.com. The video will get posted with the audio. We'll lay it in. So the full archive, you'll find out what we said for the first 25 but, minutes of but the show. Will it look like a Godzilla movie? No. Like when the, our mouths are moving and the words aren't syncing? They, they should be able to sync it up. Okay. We have top men working on that. Okay. Sorry. I'll just check it. Sorry for the technical difficulties, folks. I wish I would have. See, this is what I get for not looking at Twitter while I'm trying to do the 20-minute monologue. And I, and I, and I, I was too busy seen getting that. the caller thing up. I know. Sorry, folks. But anyway... I'm telling you, it was brilliant. 201-939-4513. It's all presented by Coors Light. Enter to win the ultimate VIP game day experience, courtesy of Coors Light. Text VIP to 90464 for more details. Let's go to Dennis in California. He's up next. Hey, Dennis. Hey, how are you guys doing? We're good, Dennis. Good, good. i just let you know real quick. I'm a, actually a diehard Green Bay Packer fan, but I'm calling on behalf of my wife because she's a diehard New York Giants fan. Okay. And she's too <laughs> too mad to call in. Oh, put her on. <laughs> put her on. Is she there? <laughs> Is she there? She's she's there. But let me just tell you real quick what, what, what my thoughts were. I just okay. think that the switching with Eli Manning, I, I don't think it's a good idea because basically the whole team, there's really no pluses on the New York Giants right now. Their defense is not good. Their offense is not good. Their receivers aren't good. The only thing they have good is actually is basically your running back. Just hold on one second real quick. They get Sterling Shepard okay. back. That improves their wide receiver core. You realize the Giants are sixth in the league in terms of yards per game on offense? Mm-hmm. Sixth right, in the but, league, number six. But my point is... And over seven yards of carry running the ball. ...out the first two weeks. So your number one receivers, you know, Golden Tate's not in, obviously. Right. And Shepard wasn't yes. in. Well, that, that's fair. So Absolutely. Is, that's fair. My point is, I, don't, I haven't heard anybody say that Eli Manning's not playing very good. Because I think he's no. playing okay. I mean, as far as mm-hmm. what he has. Yeah, that's so fair. You put a different quarterback in when you have a very weak receiving core, I don't think it's going to make much difference. <laughs> well, no, look, no, look I, I, I think it's fair to say that given all the injuries they had and the type of defenses they were playing a wide receiver last week, you know, to have expected a 300-yard passing game, I don't think anybody would have been fair to expect something like that. We said on the show last week we thought it would be a game that would be, you know, probably below 20 points for each team. That wasn't a surprise to me, necessarily, but... Pat Shermer made it clear this was not an Eli Manning performance issue. He does believe, and this is why I said what I well, well, you didn't hear me say it, but I did say it earlier in the show, that <laughs> they believe so much in Daniel Jones that they think he gives the team a better shot to win this week than Eli Manning. We'll see if they're right or not. If, if your comment is because of all the deficiencies in wide receiver, the type of teams they were playing and things like that, that Eli really didn't have uh, the best chance to show what he can do the first two weeks, I get where you're coming from. I don't think Paul and I would vociferously argue that point. Sure. Yeah, that was my main point. And then this week, 
obviously, you said Shepard's coming back, I think. Yep, right? he's back. That would help. Yeah, so obviously, Jones is going to have a little bit of a better receiving core than Eli had. So Correct. I think you guys already mentioned that, too. So mm-hmm. if Jones looks a little better, well, he's got a little better personnel around him. But, you know, anyway. <laughs> But uh, that was my main, you know, that was my main point. I just, I, I just ashamed to see, you know, I just wish they would have let Eli finish out the season where he could go, go away on a little nicer note than because you know he's put in his fourteen years, fifteen years, and to cut him off, you know, right at the beginning of the season, I think is kind of tough. Yeah, Dan, is cer- certainly appreciate the viewpoint, and, and thank, thank you, you so much call. for ringing us up. And-, and next time, tell your wife to talk to us directly. We like talking people off the ledge. It's kind of what we do, <laughs> right? Yeah, for sure. It's kind of what we do. You know, I think, to be honest with you, um, I'm going to say that most people underestimated the value of Golden Tate to this offense. Missing him for the first month of the season was going to hurt. I think everybody knew that. But I think it hurt even more than anybody anticipated. And when you compound that with Sterling Shepard's concussion and missing game number two, it just made it even worse. Uh, See, the one thing about Golden Tate, besides the fact that he's a veteran and understands what he's doing and he's very crafty and he's a very good route runner and he's really good with yards after the catch, look, this guy's been doing it for a decade. Okay, so let's not let's not even speculate that there's any question about this. When I tell you he is a first down monster, he his entire career has been a first down monster. That's what he does as well as any receiver in the National Football League. He gobbles up first downs, he moves the chains, and he converts third downs at a very high rate. Well, what's the biggest problem the Giants' offense has had? If we just put aside the defense, what's the biggest problem the Giants' offense has had? Third down. Granted, a lot of third and longs, but still third down. The thing that he is the best at, they have been missing. And I really think that has been a much more harmful loss than even I anticipated with this Giants team. Yeah. I thought they could survive better on third down, and... Frankly, the execution in those situations hasn't been great. A lot of them have been third and longs, which is hurt. The Giants also haven't completed a third down of 10 or more yards. You'd like to see them get one or two. Uh, you don't expect to get a lot of them, but one or two, sure. And they've just made mistakes in those situations, whether it was Benny Fowler's drop last week against Buffalo, which would have set them up deep in the red zone for a potential touchdown. He mm-hmm. drops that pass. Mm-hmm. And they're just this plays they haven't made. They're situate, look, they've moved the ball on offense. Their situational football, whether it's red zone or third down, has been abysmal. It's just been bad. The Giants are one of 13 on third down opportunities of six yards or more. And then what are they, 27% overall? Okay, 28% 28%, overall. Okay, tied for 29th in the league. But one for 13, third and six or longer. Yeah, can't have that. And, you know. And frankly, that's probably, they think Daniel Jones can do better in those situations. Well, regardless of that. If Golden Tate's on the field, you at least got a shot to make a couple of those. It helps, too. 201-939-4513. Back to the phones. Jeff in Rhode Island is up next. Hey, Jeff. This is the engine room calling the bridge. We're taking on water, Captain. And the reason we're taking on water is because the giant defense has put a 
30-foot gash in the side of our hull. Yeah, no, Jeff, you're 100% right, and that's that's why I, I'm almost very frustrated that we've had so much... And look, I understand this week you have to do it. They made a change. But we, I feel like we've taken so many more calls on the offense the last three weeks than the defense when the defense is really the, the, the center of all the reasons this team is 0-2. That's, that's the crux of the whole problem, John. Yeah, I'm you with know you. that as well as I do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I... I was telling you uh, before the draft that the Giants' defense is not very good. We don't have a – Dave Gettleman has tried, but he hasn't added enough quality talent to that side of the football. You know, and it's just making it harder for uh, a new quarterback to win games. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's, that's what I'm upset most about. So Understandable. Anyways. And I think the question then, Jeff, is how do you fix it? You know, how do you, well, you go about getting this right? You can't fix it till next season. What can you do? You got to play the guys you got. Well, Jeff, here's the thing. Anywhere. It's one thing if your guys are getting beat. It's to the point where these guys are letting free runners because of not doing things fundamentally right. I don't care how young the guys are you're playing or the talent level, Paul. You can right. figure out ways not to have guys running free all over the field. It's make things difficult. Make teams convert third down. Don't make it easy on opponents. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I guess a lot of that you have to foot, put at the uh, the foot of the defensive coordinator. You know, maybe the coaching isn't up to par. I don't I don't know what the answer is, but uh, I just got to tell you, I'm I'm very frustrated. So uh, I'll right. talk to you next week, guys. It. Have a good day. Thank, Thank you, you, Jeff. Okay, Jeff. And Paul, what I would do with the covers this week, and this is probably way too simple. And against this wide receiver core, maybe it's not a good idea. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they can play. Right, and that's why I hesitate to say this, but simply oh. for trying to get rid of some of the mistakes that have been getting made. Look, what do you know Janoris Jenkins is, is, is best at when he plays He's cornerback? He's a press corner. What is DeAndre Baker press best corner. at? Just do it. And you know what? If DeAndre Baker gets beat, a damn, beat again, Elise is getting beat doing what he did in college, what he knows how to do, and what he should be proficient at. And if he fails at that, then you decide, you know what? Figure it out, and maybe you do something else. But... Let these guys fail what they're good at. I have no problem with that statement whatsoever. And again, it also is difficult to run that because you want to run bump and run when you're getting what? Pressure on the quarterback. Yeah. If you're on bump and run, you get no pressure. That's how you... <laughs> right. That's why Paul's laughing. You know what happens. And it, yes. And it ain't good. No, it's not good. So, Although I would, I would add one other thing. It's not just the receivers. I, I would like to see some very, very nasty physicality against the tight end. You know, we talked about O.J. Howard in the opening segment that you guys did not hear the audio on. But O.J. Howard has been very, very quiet through the first two games. You know he's thinking this is his breakout game. You just know he's thinking that. Well, don't give him a free release. Make O.J. Howard work his butt off to get off the line of scrimmage. Okay. And then if, if he gets what he gets, he earns it. Just don't give it to him. 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants chat on Twitter. Let's go back to the calls and go to Phil in North Carolina. And maybe since our audio was gone, we'll give you guys an extra few minutes today, too, at the back end of the show. Phil, what's up? Hey, hey guys. Um, a couple of things. I want to make some quick hits, and then I'll go into my deep, kind of my deeper uh, commentary. All right, be uh, quick. Last year, I, I made the comment, I think it was to Russ and Paul, I said we were back in the 70s. And then, you know, and, and, they, and Russ disagreed and whatever. And, and so actually in rethinking, uh, uh, I have to amend my comment because the difference in the 70s, we had a good defense. 
we just had a horrible offense. Well, for part so, of the 70s, not for all of it, but for part of it. And actually, in the early 70s, you had a good offense. That was Tarkenton, right? You had Tarkenton yeah. in 1970 in the 9-5 and five season. You had Snead win the NFC passing title when the Giants went 8-6 and six and 72. And you had Ron Johnson put up 2,000-yard seasons and Bob Tucker amongst the NFC receiving leaders. So in the early part of the 70s, you had offense and no defense. And then later on, as the decade went on, you had not so good of both. And then for part of it, you had really good defense, but not so good offense. So it was right. kind of a mixed and bag. I, I was referring to kind of the mid to late 70s, but I was there, Paul. I know. You know. There you go. <laughs> and I was very upset. I was very upset when the Giants lost to the Rams in that last uh, game in the 1970. It was a chance for us to get to the 31 playoffs. 31-3. to so Gogolak kicks a field goal at big, Yankee we Stadium. We that big hole of 18 years without a playoff uh, uh, you, you, know, you know the you know the problem with that, and 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 it's it, to this day I'm still not over that game. So I get it. Thirty-one-three at Yankee yeah, Stadium. Yeah. Tarkenton uh, yeah, was sacked these, a million times. Games, turnovers. These, these games uh, stick with me, like you know. It's, I get anyway. it. Uh, Here's what I want you to remember, though. Remember one thing: Dallas won that last weekend to finish at ten and four, and they won the division. The Giants lost to the Rams and finished at nine and five, and they were knocked out because they did not have a good enough record to be a wild card team. Okay, that was the first yep. year of the wild card, yep. 1970. Okay? Yep. That the was the way the Giants... Years, so and then we got to thank Ron Johnson and France yes. for that. Yeah. Um, I was just simply so, going to tell anyway, you, Dallas won their game. They the deserve 70s. to get in. We don't really have quality linebackers now, but I do, uh, uh, you know, I do think Golden and Carter seemed to pick it up slightly last week. So Golden was pretty I'm good. i for that. So my yeah. bigger analysis is um, I always call about uh, draft picks and, and things like that. And, and the, the statistic the other day, uh, someone, uh, I think you and Russ threw out, was that, uh, you know, Dallas has only missed on one first round and, and, and the last seven years, and we're, we're basically at 20%. Yeah, that uh, sounds right. And I would say that, I would say on top of that, and that's really painful for me to say, and on top of that, you know, it's really not just the first round, it's really the middle rounds where we get the big gra- uh, gaping black hole. So, yeah. Uh, so, but anyway, my my deeper analysis is the point on this issue of the you know cleaning out the lock, getting character, and then getting talent. You know, as a fan, I would say, if you think about this, you know, is there a correlation between good guys in the locker room and winning? And I'm not sure if there is. So, you know, I, I don't. I know it makes it easier for the organization to have nice guys. I mean, wouldn't you like to go to work if the if everyone was nice? No, but Phil, know, I think and, I, I, as opposed to no, everyone being Phil crummy. Phil, I know real it makes quick, time out. Phil, real coach, quick, but Phil. I really don't think that's the model to follow. Phil, time out. You go for talent first. Time out. No, but Phil, when it, it's are, not that you all. Phil, Nicole, I can't. I can't. Phil, it's not a matter. Of and and you were filibustering. We had to we had, we had, we, had, we had to stop you there. It's not a matter of having all nice guys, correct? But you can't have toxic guys. And I'm not saying before everyone loses their mind that everyone the Giants didn't bring back were toxic guys. That's not what I'm saying. But you want to have um, a group that feeds off each other well. And if you have a couple guys in there that set a bad example maybe for younger guys, when you're trying to build a young team and have draft picks coming up, you want to have better players for those younger guys. And look, the Giants are, are in a roster right. transformation. They're bringing a lot of young guys. You want better 
examples for the younger guys to kind of hold on to. Let's make this very simple. That's okay? even better. Make it very simple. Lawrence Taylor was not a great guy, but he was a great teammate. And everybody in that locker room would swear to that. What you want is a locker room of great teammates. That's a really good you way to put it. You don't necessarily need great guys. You need great teammates. Okay? I'll, I'll give you another example. Okay? Jeremy Shockey was a great teammate while he was with the Giants early in his career. Okay? Was kind of a different kind of guy because he was an individual. Um, he, you know, he certainly had his his ways about him that a lot of people didn't like. But early in his career, he was a great teammate and did everything he could do on Sunday to help you win. Later on, at the end of his Giants career, he wasn't such a great teammate because he kept becoming a distraction and kept talking about negative things and kept complaining and, you know, eventually just got very paranoid with his mentality that he became a cut-up and he had to go because he was no longer a great teammate, okay? Now, of course, welcoming him back last, last week on the Alumni Day because he has now since mended his fences wow. and turned his mentality around with the Giants. It's been 12 years. And and every, <laughs> everything is copacetic now, and I think it's great that he is once a Giant, always a Giant again. Correct. But, but that's the point. Look, Plexico Burris, another guy, right? Constantly fined by Tom Coughlin during his time here. Not a great practice player. And you say to yourself, ah, oh, you know, he's not the, he maybe not be my best friend, okay? But on Sunday, when they blew the whistle, he did everything he could to help you win. And his nose was in the playbook, too. And his nose was always in the playbook. That's he knew everything about the opponent, which made him a great teammate. Not necessarily, you know, during the week or out at dinner, but during the game, great teammate that's what you need and you can also survive those guys better if you already have a very established culture and way of doing things which you had with Tom Coffin because he had been here for so long when you're a winning team and and you win games that's another very important caveat yes it's a big deal and like Bill Parcells had this theory the psychology of results winning breeds winning and losing breeds you know what okay and and Bill what he meant by that is that winning teams have a way of fostering that terrific teammate mentality, that teammate environment that allows you to consistently achieve at the highest level. But when you're losing, well, that's when maybe not everybody's a great teammate, John. And maybe you have cracks, and maybe you have complainers, and you have guys who are lazy, and guys aren't necessarily doing everything the team way, and they're becoming distractions. And that's how, when the boat starts to crack, the water just kinds to seep in, and it sinks the boat. That's what Bill Parcells was talking about. Psychology of results. Winning breeds winning. 201-939-4513. Don in Texas is up next. Hey, Don. Hey, John. Hi, Pete. What's up, Donnie? Hey, guys, do I get nomination for the Mount Rushmore of Big Blue Kickoff Live? I was off by one week predicting Daniel Jones in my bold prediction. <laughs> Did you? Uh, I'm not sure if I have it on the board. I'll have to check that after the season. I don't touch yeah. I don't touch the predictions, Don, until we get to Week 17, and I'll look at them that first week after the season's <laughs> over. Okay. All right, guys. I just wanted to call up. I really called up about Evan Ingram, but I'm also going to go over Pat Shermer really quick. Sure. And, you know, last Friday I, I called, and, and whenever I criticize somebody, I always look for some way to commend them as well. 
So last week I told I was calling you guys. I would like to see him coach with a little urgency, and I'm glad he's doing this. And I'm going to tell you why. There's another thing that I noticed. He's starting to lose the locker room, and I know it's a little trickle when you see Janoris Jenkins coming out pointing fingers at other players like, hey, we need a pass rush, stuff like that. This team needed a spark, and Victor Cruz was on ESPN last night, and you kind of hit it on the it's like they're sleepwalking the team. I wanted your take on that. And then I know you guys are trying to end the show, but I just want to go over Evan Ingram really quick. Go ahead. So Evan Ingram, yeah, I know there's a lot of people who are always saying, and John, I agree with you on this completely, that they were, hey, Evan Ingram should be a wide receiver. And John, I agree with you. He is a, keep him at tight end, okay? Anybody who's debating this, Evan Ingram reminds me of an NBA guard who's 6'3 or 6'4. They're, they're not exactly a point guard. They're not exactly a shooting guard. But when you watched him against Buffalo, they kept putting cornerbacks on him, and he could not get off. Mm-hmm. He, he did not have a good game. So anybody who keeps saying he should be a wide receiver, stop it. He's a tight end. He, he's just one of those guys that if you put him on the outside, he won't win those matchups. Hey, look, look, you know, I mean, Don, I agree. <laughs> he's preaching to the choir. Thank you, Don. I appreciate the call. And look, the bottom line is he's not a receiver. No, he never has been. And because you want him in never mismatches. That's the point. And he, and he doesn't want to be a wide receiver, by the way. He, he's a tight end. He's he part of the passing that. game. That's enough. He's a receiver. He's not a wide receiver. He's part of the passing game. Correct. 201-939-4513. I didn't have a huge problem with, with what Jenkins said. You never like guys talking out. It's not like he... It's not as though he said, you know, this guy's not doing his job by name. This guy's not doing his job by name. Look, I think everyone knows that as a defensive back, you you need a pass rush, right? I mean, this isn't rocket science. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you wouldn't like him to verbalize it that way after a game, and Pat Shermer said as much when he spoke to the sure. media earlier in the sure. week, and I agree with that 100%. You don't want to see that. But we it, it wasn't as though he was finger-pointing to the one guy and saying, that's the guy, that's the reason we're losing. He needs to pick up his game Correct. or whatever, whatever, whatever. So and, and, that's and what I would, say about it. And I would only say this. Well, we let the caller talk, and, and he said, oh, you know, he made a statement flat out using that as an example that Pat Shermer is starting to lose the locker room. I don't room. think he is at all, by the I'm, way. I'm not going to let that statement go by without a rebuttal because I'm here every day, and I haven't seen that. I agree 100%. And so, you know, you think what you want, but I'm telling you from what I know in that locker room, that's not happened. Again, I think the caller said that might have been the first hint that he might be. I don't see that. I don't. I'm with Paul. I don't think that's fair uh, that that's an issue. And by the way, I have seen head coaches lose a locker room before. And it wasn't that long ago either. No. I've been doing this a long time, and I've seen it happen on more than one occasion. And I have not seen that. I I know what a skunk looks like, okay? This is not a skunk. 201-939-4513. Back to the phones. Joel in Huntington is up next. Hey, Joel. Hey, guys. How you doing? We're good, Joel. What's up? Hey, listen... First time call. Thank you so much. I've been watching you since Anita Marks. Thank you. <laughs> and you stuck Listen, with us. I just have a really light comment, and then I'll get off the air, and I'd like your opinion. I watched, I watched the 2007 season when the Giants in Game 3 were down by two scores and Let's not go against there. Washington, and they right. did a goal line stand, and they just kicked their butts. And you know what happened after that, right? Yeah, well, so Kavika Mitchell I, made I, a big I, play. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, Kavika Mitchell made a big play, and it did turn around the Giants' season. But understand something, and this is very, very, very important to understand. I can't remember the name of the Redskins quarterback. Well, don't. I can picture him in my head. It's I can't not even picture relevant it. No, right I got to look Here's it up. the Go point. Ahead. 
The point is the Giants had the Tucks, the Humanuras, the the Strahans, the you. Antonio Pierces thank you. Thank you. Thank on the you. team. Thank you. These were guys who were accomplished, accomplished guys. You know, not 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 you know. Obviously, Tuck and OC were earlier in their careers, but Pierce was an accomplished player and a leader. Strahan was on his way to a Hall of Fame career. That was Tuck's third year and, even. and a leader. He's been around. The point is, the Giants' defense right now doesn't have any of those kinds of guys either in caliber or in leadership or in resume, and that's no disgrace or disrespect to any of the guys on this current roster. Well, they hope the young guys can become those guys. They're just not there yet. Right. They're just not there yet. And maybe they will be. Maybe they won't be at some time. I don't know the answer to that. But what I do know is this. Tuck, Osi, Pierce, Strahan, these guys were special. There's a reason why Strahan is in the Hall of Fame. There's a reason why Antonio Pierce had a championship and a Pro Bowl. And Tuck went to several Pro Bowls. And Newman Ure went to several Pro Bowls. These guys were really, really good in a lot of different areas. And they were accomplished in it. Right now, you have a defense well, that's young and being rebuilt on the fly. Not the well, same. Here's, well, here's, Not here's the my same. old prediction. Here's my bold prediction. Game three, second quarter, they're going to do something that's going to turn this whole team around. And I'll get off the air and you can comment on that. Thank you guys well, what is it? very much. I appreciate it. What are they going to do, Joel, to Thank turn it around, though? Thank you, Joel. Thank you. Appreciate the call. I wish you would have given us what they were going to do. They're going to do something. <laughs> Well, it's going to be something. He's optimistic. I appreciate that. I give that. him that, Joel. Oh, can you give me a specific? I can't write down a bold prediction. They're going to do something. That's not a prediction. <laughs> well, just write, write down third quarter at least. Okay. So at least he, maybe he gets Go that ahead. right. Although I would tend to think that if they were going to turn the season around, it might be something in the fourth quarter. But he said third quarter, okay. so give him that. Third quarter versus Tampa Bay. Defense does something, and I will put something in all Yeah, in likelihood he meant defense, didn't he? Because he was bringing up the 2007 deal. I so would think so, it's probably defense. Yes. I assume that. We're going to assume that, Joel. So uh, it has been registered. <laughs> I'm running out of room on this thumbtack, let me tell you. 201-939-4513. Oh. If we get a couple more calls, I'll try to squeeze you in. We'll go a little bit late since you had the audio issues early. Rick and Tamp is up next. Hey, Rick. Hey. Hello. Up, Got both of you on today. Hey, I have four real quick things. Okay. One uh, is, all right, ready? One is uh, regarding uh, having T.J. Jones back is going to help Daniel Jones because he was a pretty good go-to. He was a go-to receiver for him. Leading receiver in the preseason with 12 catches. Mm, I wonder how much he's going to play this week. We'll see. It depends how oh, much really? Benny Fowler well, is going to play. With Latimer out, I hope he plays. I mean, come on. Well, that's but, true with uh, Latimer out. That's a good point. He'll play. He'll play. Yeah. Okay, that's that. Uh, regarding Jalen Ramsey, uh, Mika Fitzpatrick, neither of those guys, wouldn't the Giants ever consider uh, I mean, I know Ramsey's got a bit of some baggage, but they're both very good, very good backs. Here's the problem with take... now. Here's the thing, Minka Fitzpatrick. I think Jalen Ramsey's the better player for one, but yeah. Jalen Ramsey also is a guy you have to pay a lot sooner, and he's going to want twenty million dollars a year. So mm -hmm. I'm not giving up a first round pick plus something else just so I have to pay this guy twenty million dollars in my cap space next year. So I'll pass on that. Right. So you'd have to pay him next year. Okay. Correct. Right. So, that, so that I'll pass on that, that. And, and, and then and then real quick on, on Minka Fitzpatrick. They got a one for him. The Giants could have a one that's a top 10 pick this year. I'm not giving up a top 10 pick for Minka Fitzpatrick. Okay. All right. All right. That's Fair that point. For that. Now, yep. The other thing, too, two more quick things. 
One is uh, the uh, possibility of uh, next week's game of uh, Haskins versus Jones. That would be very interesting. That could be fun. That, that would be fun to see as well. And also, what do you think? Uh, I know, Paul, you're on FAN a lot. What do you think about Coach Shermer? Now it's not going on with Mike backing out of that. What do you can you, can you say anything Go about ahead, that? I mean, as a fan, I don't think it's a good move. Uh, well, no, I, I'm going to make it real simple for you. Coach Shermer was asked about it yesterday and said it was an organizational oh, decision and that for the time being, uh, they just think it's better to be low key and and he's not going to do the spot. And that's mm. and and that's what Coach Shermer said. I don't know if the station released a statement themselves. I have not on, seen on exactly what had happened, but. That's what Coach Shermer told us. He was very forward and direct about it when he was asked, and I don't know that there's anything else that I could say. Okay. I mean, because I listened to the interview, and, I, and I've called in Mike and said to him for some things to say to the coach that I could have been even harder on him, but Mike wasn't that usual Mike. You know, Mike could be a little harsh sometimes, but he wasn't. I mean, he was a lot worse with uh, uh, McAdoo many years ago, but, I mean, I don't understand that. So, uh, as a you know, I, I don't think it was a good move. For, uh, you got to be able to take it in New York, so I'm not a big fan of that. But I'm a fan of you guys. Paulie Dodd, keep it up. Uh, <laughs> All right. to hearing from both of you. All Thank right. you. Hope so, you enjoy the game. Appreciate the call. 201-939-4513, Ian in Florida. Will be our final call of the show. Hey, Ian, how are you? Hey, guys. Um, I'm going to be at the game on Sunday. Looking oh, great. forward to it. Just wondering, do you guys set up a booth or a tent or anything for road games? You know, we don't generally. Uh, Lance and Jeff will be back in New York City. They'll be at uh, local, which is the NYC local, which is on 34th and 8th in the city doing the pregame show. Paul and I will be up in the booth. So we're, we generally don't do anything public in terms of broadcast for road games. Sorry about that. Okay. All right. Well, all right. So I got a couple points then. Um, I don't know if you guys recall in one of uh, Coach Shermer's, uh, I don't know if it was the post-game presser or it was in the conference where they announced the change. He mentioned something that um, he felt that he had plays in the playbook to to go against the Bills' defense on Sunday. And he, I don't know if, if you guys picked up on that or if he was alluding to the fact that I, I took it one of two ways, that either Eli couldn't execute his game plan or certain plays, even though he did okay and there's some drop balls and things and stuff like that, or maybe he checked out of certain plays. Did you guys pick up on that? Well, look, I, I, I don't know specifically. I, I do know what you mean, and I did hear that too. Uh, the way I would look at it, and, and I'll talk about it a little bit more broadly, is that if they believe, and this is what Pat Shermer said he believes, so there's no reason to think he doesn't, since they believe that Daniel Jones gives them a better chance to win. I think it's safe to say that they think that he would have executed that game plan against Buffalo last week a little bit better. Otherwise, they wouldn't think that he gives the team a better chance to win. Right, Paul? I mean, that's pretty obvious, right? Without specifics, I, I'm very hesitant to even comment on it because uh, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember the, actually the quote that he's talking about. I'll be honest with you. I don't. Mm -hmm. I don't remember the quote. And so I, I would rather not comment on it, only to say that uh, Coach said repeatedly this was a gut feeling that he had as to making this change mm -hmm. and at the time that he's made the change. But he also said the change is about this week. Okay. It's not about the future. He has been clear about that. And since I'm not one of those enzymes that live inside Pat Shermer's stomach, I'm not going to pretend to know what's in his gut. Correct. I'm just not. All right. All right, then uh, one more thing. Um, mm -hmm. Do you really think this move puts everyone on notice, in particular the defense, if they've done this to Eli, then everyone better step it up 
Thank yeah. you. Thank you for taking the call. No, I appreciate it. And I actually asked that question to Evan Ingram. It'll be on one of the interviews you do on our pregame radio show on Sunday. And I said, does this thing kind of, you know, let everybody know that, oh, boy, if, you know, the quarterback's losing his gig here, that, oh, well, you know, the rest of us better get moving pretty quick. Otherwise, he's going to late really early around here. He goes, yeah, you know, everyone has a very high urgency this week, given everything that's happened. Well, from top to bottom, I mean, Coach Shermer was very, very plain and, and simple about it. From top to bottom, everybody's got to improve. Everybody has to play And better. that's what has to happen when you're 0-2 and you put forth two very disappointing performances. I mean, look, if you, if you exclude anybody, and even Saquon Barkley, and by the way, um, I talked to Saquon Barkley for the Giants' first and ten show, which airs at nine thirty tonight on MSG Network, and that'll air on our radio pregame show as well. By the way, okay, um, I'll give you just a little taste of it. I said to Saquon Barkley, point blank, Coach says everybody up and down has to improve. So when you hear that, what do you take from it, and what do you have to do to improve to help out the situation? I'm not going to tell you what his answer was. I'll make you listen. That's what you call a tease in the business. There folks. you go, but. I wasn't afraid to ask Saquon Barkley that because in this situation, nobody's Teflon, John. Nobody's Teflon. Everybody has to do something better to help the team out of the rut. Any final thoughts on the game, Paul, before we say goodbye? Uh, it is a tough game, without question. It is a very, very difficult game. I do think Daniel Jones is as prepared as a rookie could possibly be with his mentality. I agree. And his approach. I agree. And his professionalism. And I agree. oh, yes. Because Eli Manning sits next to him and tutors him mm -hmm. and has done everything he can to help make this easier. It won't be easy, but he has tried to make it easier for the youngster from Duke. Uh, I'm just waiting for it to unfold because I think there's going to be a lot of people. It's the 4 o'clock game, which means it's the second game on Fox's schedule, which means it's a national game, correct? No, it's 405. It's not 425. 405, not 425. So it's not the yes. national game. Mm -hmm. I was going to say I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people tuning in even Giants fans or non-Giants fans well, there who are, are going to want to see the game there are fewer games in the four o'clock window though so for teams the people that have direct tv and NFL Sunday ticket things like that that will be one of the couple or few games on at four o'clock but it's a 405 start not a 425 so should be a very interesting game and and I'm, I'm sure I'm sure there'll be plenty to dissect after it's over win or lose there will be plenty of talking points. All right, so make sure you check it out. You can find Paul Dottino along with, let's see if we get all the guys right. You have Paul, Bob Papa, Howard Cross, Harry Carson, Deal. Victor Cruz, you. David Deal. No, I wasn't on this week. You weren't on this week? I oh. was not. Mad uh, that's okay. Madeline Burke. Okay. Um, Is that everybody? Alec Ogletree was a guest. Yeah. Coach uh, Shermer. Pat Shermer was a guest. Who, who am I Saquon saying? Saquon Barkley. <laughs> he was a guest. Oh, that's right. Perfect. And uh, so make sure you check that out. That's on tonight on MSG. MSG, air, of course. Over the course of the rest of the weekend, too, 10.30 on Sunday morning. And make sure you check that out. And then, of course, you can see Paul and the rest of the crew on Giants postgame live, which comes on right after the game. But if you're on the radio, make sure you stick with the radio mm -hmm. postgame. I'll be in the locker room. Uh, Bob Papa, Carl Banks with the play-by-play. -play, Howard Cross on the sideline. And the pregame begins at 1.50 on WFAN AM. The Yankees will be on FM. We'll join on both frequencies when the Yankee game and their postgame conclude sometime uh, between 4 and 5 o'clock. So, again, coverage at 150 on WFAN. Lance Beto and Jeff Fegels. Lance loves meeting the fans and the people. Head out to the bar. They're at NYC Local on 34th and 8th. Go see him and Jeff. They'll be doing the show live there at 150. Paul and I will be in Tampa. Make sure you check that out and you look eager like you want to say something else. I do. Else. I have to say one more thing, John, because I know you're with me on this. Go Yankees. 100 wins. AL East champions. Take it all the way, boys. 
Bronx Bombers. What else can I say? We'll see you on Monday. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. Adios.